You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Um, so yeah, you guys got seated. I was, I was gabbing too long. So, um, great that you're here. I'm Zach, one of the pastors, and we want to start by acknowledging my man, Michael, back here at the board. Look at Michael, wave, there he is. You guys don't even know why yet, but yeah, um, we'll, we'll applaud for him in a second. Um, see all these, um, rectangles and squares. This is for our new sound system. If you haven't noticed, we were blessed by this. Really thankful for that. Um, but these squares are sound absorption so that it just sounds better in the room. And, um, and so last week they were white, and now they blend in. And Michael spent two days painting all of them. And so, yeah, thank you to him. So we really appreciate that, Michael. Thank you. Uh, I just got back from Ecuador. As a church, we are all about planting churches among neighbors and nations. If you're new here, that's just kind of our, one of our um, just identity statements. The Vine Church seeks to be a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. And this past week, I got to kind of help kick the ball down the field with the church planting among the nations and just engage with our leaders down there. You know, when you're a leader of a ministry, it's oftentimes you're doing all of the output and you're always listening to everybody else uh, coming to you and you're helping solve problems and you're ministering to people. And oftentimes, especially if you're among uh, a foreign, in a foreign country, you can feel isolated even more so. And so I just went down to just listen and be present and pray with, talk to um, our leaders down there, the Yongrins and some of their team. And it was, it was awesome. Just really thankful for that. And they want to say their thanks. I'm speaking on their behalf to the Vine Church because we're all in that together by the way that we give financially because we support that financially. And so if you're giving here, you're giving to that. And we have church teams that go down. So we've got a great team um, poised and ready to go in February. And so they just want to communicate their thanks that we invest in them. We are partnered with them to see churches planted that are healthy in Ecuador. So just know that. All right, well, let's um, dive into our text here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back, and it'll also be on the screen, or you can just open up your smartphone and open up your browser and type in Matthew chapter 9. It's amazing how the Internet works, right? Everybody has a Bible in their pocket. All right, here we go. So Matthew 9, starting in verse 9, it reads this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, I want to show you the account from the the book of Luke of this same verse. Let's look at that. It's just going to be on the screen. This is how Luke describes. Very similar. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Matthew's other name sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me, verse 28. Look at it there. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. 
So why did Jesus do this? Why did he pick Matthew? We don't know. The Bible doesn't explain it. It's just Jesus sovereignly chose him without an explanation. That happens all the time in the Bible. comes to Abraham. doesn't tell us why it came to Abraham. comes to Moses. doesn't tell us why. It comes to Paul. doesn't tell us why necessarily. But we do know this for sure that we're going to see illustrated in this text over and over and over again. Jesus is not afraid to hang out with sketchy people. Jesus is not to... not afraid to hang out with those who need mercy the most. Those who might not seem worthy of mercy from the vantage point of those who think they have it all together. Now, why would I say that? Well, we have to know a little bit about the the, the world of the Bible. This is technically called the historical context. All that means is knowing about the world of the Bible. So what do we need to know here? What we need to know is, who was the tax collector? And if you've been around the vine for a a while, you've heard me explain this before because it comes up a lot in the Gospels. But for those of you who are new, let me explain it again. Because without this knowledge, this, this text doesn't really make sense. Jesus calling a tax collector to himself was a really scandalous thing. As Americans, we have a hard time getting this because as a nation, we've never been occupied. We've never been invaded in a military sense and occupied it, occupied and oppressed. But that's the world of Jewish people in the Bible. Maybe the the closest thing that I'm familiar with is um, I'm watching a current show. It's a show on, on Amazon Prime that focuses on the... Nazi occupation of France at the beginning of World War II. And so this is just 80 years ago, and there was a, quote, war in France. They didn't put up much of a fight. The, the, the Nazis just invaded, and it was basically over. And as you can imagine, that created a lot of challenge for different relationships. Because for certain people, if you collaborated with the Nazis, you could make a lot of money as a French person. Other people resisted. Other people had family members doing one thing, the other, the other people doing others. Some people were hiding Jews. Some people were giving Jews over. I mean, you can imagine how that would divide a culture. If you get invaded, occupied, what are you going to do? You're going to be complicit with the occupier? Or are you going to resist? Or anything in between? And so after the war was over... Every French, I, I'm, I'm in the process of learning French, so I have a lot of French friends, and I always ask them about this because it's so foreign to my American mindset. Like, they, their parents, grandparents, they lived through that. So what was that like for your grandparents? What was that like for your parents? Are there memories? I'm just so curious about that. And they always tell me the same thing. After the war was over in France, that was a really dark time for that nation for a while because you had people totally divided based on how they related to the Nazis. Does that make sense? It was dark. People put on trial. People, you know, you know, accusing them of this and that and all, you know, it's just madness. That kind of situation was the situation in the Bible. Think if you were a French person and your best friend decided to work with the Nazis and they made a lot of money. How would you feel about that? 
Well, that's what's going on in, in the world of the Bible because tax collectors worked for the Romans. The, who are the Romans? The Romans are the oppressive military invaders, occupiers. If you resisted, you died. And tax collectors were almost always Jewish people recruited by the Romans to work for the Romans to collect taxes from the people. So ultimately, Jewish people are looking at their Jewish friends, brothers and sisters, and they're saying, you're going to work for the oppressor? In addition, if you are a tax collector, you can line your pockets by increasing the taxes and keeping some for yourself. So tax collectors were notorious for being cheaters and ultimately like betrayers, ultimately betraying their people. And Jesus shows up and hangs out with one of them, calls to his inner circle. How does that make you feel? Well, let's see. Let's see. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to it. But I want us to look at this phrase, he left everything. In Luke, it says in verse 28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Leaving everything. So he's at this position of authority, this position, ability to make money off people. And he's like, no, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going with Jesus. And that experience, honestly, it's not that foreign in the Bible. Like I already said, it happened to Abraham. It happened to Moses. It happened to Paul. Immediately, everything's going to be different because I'm following the call of God. Very normal, biblically, to leave everything and follow God. Now, there's no promise that's going to be easy or comfortable. But what is it a promise of? It's the promise of presence. The presence of God. See, Matthew leaves. What does he leave? He leaves authority. He leaves more money. But what does he get? He gets Jesus. At that point, we have to ask ourselves, what's better? Money, authority, the ability to cheat people, get rich, or Jesus? It's a good question. See, the, the claim of the Bible is that the presence of God is worth it, no matter how hard the call of God is. That's the, that's, the, that's the call over and over again to Moses. Moses says to God, I'm scared. I can't do this. This is crazy. I can't even talk. And I'm supposed to go talk to this guy who slit my throat just with the snap of his fingers. And God says, I'll be with you. And Abraham's like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just supposed to leave and follow you. And, and God says, I'll be with you. And Paul's getting beat up left and right for, be, for planting churches. And, and, and Jesus comes to him in a dream and says, keep going. I am with you. And that's what Matthew gets. What does he get? He gets Jesus. He gets to hang out with Jesus, the presence of God himself. It's so much better than that tax booth, right? So then the question for, for us becomes, would I rather have stuff than Jesus? See, if I, I sense God calling me to follow him, and he is, He's calling us through his word, by his spirit, to do lots of stuff like make disciples, like encourage one another, like, I don't know, maybe move and make more disciples. Who, who knows how God is moving in your life specifically, but his revealed will, will is clear. Why would I hesitate? Because of my, I might lose my house? 
I might have to move. I might have to sell something. If my first response is fear, why am I so fearful? Why do I hesitate? Now, we could have a whole sermon on that. I'm not preaching that sermon today, but I just want us to look at that and leaving everything. So, Matthew leaves it all behind. What happens next? They have a party. Look at verse 10. And as Jesus, so, so they leave, and then they show up at a house, and it looks like they're just having a, some good time of fellowship together. And Jesus reclined at table in the house. That's just Bible speak for food and fellowship. And, and he says, behold. And when Matthew says behold, he always says, now check this out. Okay? Check it out. Like, like if someone says, behold, like that's, you know, like in the movies or whatever, Middle Ages and the castles and the knights. It's like, behold, like that's, that's like, listen up, right? That's what Matthew's doing here because something crazy is about to happen. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So Matthew wants us to see that when he uses the word tax collectors and sinners, again, that's Bible speak for notorious sinners, obvious sinners, okay? He's not saying that, that, that other people in the world aren't sinners. Like, the Bible's clear that we all have a sin nature. But what he's saying is these are just the obvious ones. Other people have more hidden sins, and they seem all put together on the outside. But these guys are the obvious ones, the notorious ones, okay? That's what, Jesus, or that's what Matthew is saying here in his account. But here's something I want us to reflect on when it comes to Jesus' community. Like, he's hanging out in community right now. Think about this, that we observe from verse 10. What it clearly shows us is that scandalous, notorious people that have obvious sin in their life that's not so easy to hide, they felt free to hang out with Jesus, right? They felt free to sit around a table with him in a casual environment, eating, drinking, just hanging out. Now, would scandalous people in our day and age that have obvious sins that they can't hide very easily, would they feel that way about our churches? Well, probably some, yes, probably some, no, and It'd be easy, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking that question so that you leave here with some weight of condemnation. I'm just asking us to ask the question. And we're probably all over the map when it comes to the answer. Let's just at least ask the question. How's the vine with that? Other churches that I've been in. I remember talking to a guy at a, a job I used to have when we first moved to Madison. Um, all of us who planted the church almost a decade ago now, we worked retail. We worked, uh, not all, yeah, I guess we all did work re- retail um, just for that first season of planting. And I remember one of my coworkers were at the job that I had, people knew I was a pastor. I got to know lots of people. And I asked him to come to church one day with me and say, hey, you should just come check us out sometime. See what, what I do and da 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 and he said to me, I'll never forget, he said that he thought that if he set foot in our church, he would literally catch on fire. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? 
Like, like immediately the judgment of God would like come down and consume him. Now, he was being facetious, but he was communicating a strong message. Like, I, you don't want me around your church. And immediately, you know, I tried to squash that and explain, you know, that's not how we carry ourselves. But he just thought that if he came in among us, there would be so much tension for either him or us that it would be unsustainable. And what I want to know is, like, where did he learn that? Where did he catch that? Why was that his default setting? Because what we see in, in verse 10 is that scandalous, obvious sinners, those kind of people felt safe, around Jesus, felt safe around Jesus, but so many don't feel that way in our churches. Why is that the case? That's a good question for us to ask. Does my church experience, either at the Vine or any other church, feel like it resonates with this text, or does it feel different than this text? And then unpack the answer to that. Why is that the case, yes or no? It's just good for us to think about that. God's Word wants us to think about that. That's why it's there for us. Why did a lot of scandalous people feel safe around Jesus, but so many don't feel that way in our churches? Why is that? Why did Jesus draw those kind of people to himself? I don't, the answer to that, I don't think we have to go that much farther than the text itself. Why did they feel safe around Jesus? Maybe it's just simply because he was willing to hang out, Right? That's what we actually see in the text. He's willing to hang out. He's willing to show up. He's willing to have a meal with anybody who wants to come. He will be present. Like, we don't have to make this harder than it is, right? What do we see in the text? We see he's willing to hang out. He's willing to have a meal, scandalous or not. Let's eat. Let's hang out. See, the Pharisees, or the religious elites of Jesus' day, they were notorious for making people change on their terms before they had a relationship with that person. Like, you got to clean yourself up according to my standard before I'm going to hang out with you. You got to clean yourself out, clean yourself up, and then you can come to me. I'm not going to come and lower myself to your level until you kind of rise to my level. That's the, the religious mindset in Jesus' day for the leaders. And they look at what Jesus is doing, and it's just classic guilt by association. And it's just so sad that so many people think like that in our churches today. And, and so many people think that that is what the church is like. And what's really sad is so often they're right. But if we just see anything from this text, we should see this. That Jesus' community doesn't force people to clean up before we're going to hang out together, before we're going to have community together. Now hear this. Jesus accepts you as you are, but he never leaves us that way. Now the not leaving us that way, we're going to get to that in a second. But I just want you to see that Jesus accepts you as you are. And if you have ears to hear, he never leaves you that way. 
Well, there's always backlash. There's always backlash, and we're going to see that in the next verse. Look at verse 11. So Jesus is being himself. People don't like it. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, so they don't confront Jesus directly, they just go to his, his guys, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So again, classic case of guilt by association, right? And think about it. What is guilt by association? Oftentimes, guilt by association is just a simplistic understanding of relationships. Like, I see you having supper with this person, so that must mean that you endorse absolutely everything that this person does. And Jesus wants to challenge and say, no, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. You guys are way too simple. And so we're going to see Jesus respond. But before we see Jesus respond, I think it's easy for us to, like, see the the Pharisees as the ultimate bad guy, and we know Jesus is the good guy, and we're ready to be like, yeah, I'm on Jesus' team. Go get him. Without thinking about that we have the possibility of having a Pharisee-like heart as well. And I think we have to wrestle with that. I think we have to wrestle with that. So let's, let's place ourselves in the shoes of the Pharisees right now. I know that I can have a Pharisee heart. I know that about myself. Let's, let's push this a little farther and maybe allow Jesus to step on our toes a little bit. Like, here's the question I want us to ask. Who is that person that you don't want Jesus to hang out with? Who is that person, imagine it, If you see Jesus having dinner, enjoying fellowship with someone, that you're going to be like, Jesus, I know you got grace, but just not for that person. We all can think of somebody, right? I got fired up when I saw a a clip on the internet yesterday that was on Twitter. And um, this is probably the person that, I would have a problem Jesus hanging out with. And I'm going to show you a one-minute clip. Um, it's, it's easy to, to, to think of this as kind of cartoonish. But this is, this is blood serious. I mean, this is cancer. Um, let's, let's watch this quick. So, I mean, this is just classic biblical terminology would be false teaching. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Like, you want to test good 
grace-filled Bible teaching, ask yourself how this message can be preached and give life in the slums of Nairobi. That message is a prison for those people. There is no hope. It's just it's not the Bible. It gets me really fired up. I'm not preaching this sermon today, but I'm saying this. I hate that message. We export that crap all over the world. It's a plague in Ecuador right now on the churches. This, this crap, of, I'll use more flowery language if it was appropriate, okay? Because it fires me up. This is garbage. It's ruining churches that we know in Ecuador. Part of what we do when I go down there to teach is detox from this kind of message. We export it to, to Africa, destroying people. That, that God, you can know God loves you by how much money you have. That is a lie. That is not in the Bible. Okay, I'm done with that. Here's the deal. I don't want Jesus hanging out with Joel Osteen. Right? That's my guy. Like, Jesus, why are you hanging out with him? So now this text, if I'm really honest... I can be like the Pharisees because this dude is a scandal in American Christianity just like a tax collector is a scandal in ancient Jewish culture. You with me? And Jesus hangs out with the scandalous dude. Does that mean full endorsement? No, it doesn't. We'll get to that in a second. But I'm just trying to expose my own Pharisaical heart that can be like those guys and be like, why would you ever have, I mean, you can have dinner with anybody, just not him. He's toxic in our churches. Who's that person for you? Maybe it's your least favorite politician. Maybe it's that person that just, man, when you get on social media, everything that they post, it just grates on your nerves, right? Maybe it's that boss that is just disrespectful. And they have a position of authority, and they abuse it. Who's that person for you? Where you're like, Jesus, I'm down with your grace, just not for that person. So how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Like the Pharisees? Or like what we're going to find in this text? See, it's really good for us to do that hard work of bringing the text, like, like drive, it, drive it up the driveway, go in the front door of your heart, and just camp out there. We need to do that. It's easy to keep this stuff at arm's length. Really simple. Jesus doesn't like the Pharisees. He rebukes them. All right, on to the next verse. And we got to think about it. Like, I can have a Pharisaical heart. How? Well, I just told you. We need to work at this. This is how God works by his word to change us. Now, keep in mind that Jesus doesn't just have food and fellowship, right? It always starts there, but it usually doesn't end there. If we observe the conversations that people has, we observe the conversations that Jesus has with people in the text. Jesus always told the truth in relationships, Right? So it's not like they just get together food and, and see you next week. 
Jesus always brings the truth, right? So how do we know that that's true? Well, let's keep reading. Look at verse 12. How do we know that Jesus brings the truth? Verse 12 says this. He responds. He says, but when he heard the, the, the resistance of the Pharisees to his social relationships with scandalous people, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So how do we know that Jesus doesn't just leave people there? Even as he welcomes them and accepts them as they are, he doesn't leave them as they are? How do we know that? Well, because he uses the word physician. He compares himself to a physician. So what does a good physician do? A good physician has to tell the truth, right? But the way they tell the truth makes a difference. So my dad passed away four and a half years ago from cancer. And, I mean, can you imagine if it started with a real, real intense back pain, and he goes to the doctor, they run tests, we have the test back, and the doctor comes in, sits down with my dad and says, yep, you got cancer, you'll be dead in nine months, see you next week. And he leaves. I mean, that's the truth. That's what happened. That doesn't fly, does it? That doctor hopefully gets fired. Right? I mean, he told him the truth. But the way the truth gets communicated is very important. Right? But in the same way, think about this. This might even be more cruel. Dad goes in, severe back pain, run the tests, tests come back. Doctor sits down with my dad, and he says, you know what? I think you're going to be fine. Nothing's wrong. He, li- he lies to him? Like, that's even more cruel, right? So in the same way, Jesus is not saying that we don't tell the truth, He's just saying that doctors have to hang out with sick people. Imagine that, right? Doctors have to hang out with sick people. Doctors have to have fellowship with sick people. Like, what else would you expect if you can understand the analogy, right? And here's the problem in our culture. On the one hand, you've got so many people that don't believe there's any need for a doctor at all. And on the other hand, you've got people that think that doctors shouldn't hang out with sick people. You with me? And Jesus wants to blow up the categories of, of everybody. So here, here's a question for us. If you want to know if you're growing in grace, if you're growing in being more like Jesus, that's the essence of being a Christian is, is I've confessed my sin to God. I've turned from my sin, and I've turned towards Jesus in trust and making him my treasure, and, and then I want to follow him. How do I know that, what's one aspect of knowing that maybe that is happening? Well, here's one that you probably haven't thought of. Have you ever had anybody question your friendships? Have you ever had people that don't understand grace look at you and go, why are you hanging out with that person? 
Like judgmental religious people who don't know the grace of God question any of your relationships. And that's what happens to Jesus here clearly in the text, right? His relationships raise some eyebrows. And, and some of you might say, you know what, I, honestly, I've never really had that happen. And that's okay. I'm not saying that for you to feel a weight of condemnation. But I am bringing that up just to show you that that seems to be kind of normal in a Jesus-shaped life. That the mercy of God would maybe draw you towards those who really need help. Those who can't hide their sin all that well. That is pretty obvious. Where you might have some religious people just be like, man, they made their choices. They're getting what they deserve. They don't, they don't need you hanging out with them. Like, just move on. Like, what's your problem? Maybe it's people with destructive abuse of substances. Maybe it's, you know, I think Jesus would hang out at an AA meeting. Those people are honest about their problem with alcohol. That's one of the number one tenets of AA. You got to be honest. I know that Jesus loves that honesty. Yeah, I'm, I'm messed up. I have a problem. How about people with a destructive sexual ethic? Well, man, like if you want to talk about Jesus' relationship, that's all over the Gospels. People not glorifying God with their bodies sexually. That's pretty normal for him to hang out with those people. See John chapter 4. How about people with destructive use of money? People that have a track record of cheating others. Here's one that will really make you uncomfortable. Maybe people that are on the sex offender registry. They can't hide. It's obvious. It's public. The tragedy is... There's so many in our world today, and I can be that person if I'm not aware and thinking and repenting, where I say I love the grace of God and I experience it differently in actually my real life in my relationships. And I think that Jesus might be calling us in this text by his spirit to find those people that, re- that feel rejected by those condemning people and then engage with them. And this doesn't mean, don't hear what I'm not saying, this doesn't mean that we bend our convictions. A doctor has to tell the truth. The word of God has to speak the truth. But it does change the shape and the means, the timing, the tone by which we communicate those convictions. Does that make sense? And maybe just hanging out and sharing a meal, like we see in the text, maybe that's just a good place to start. Right? The grand irony oftentimes about the reputation of this church is that a lot of times people say, man, the church is just full of hypocrites. And we can say, yeah, the church is full of people that are just fake. And you don't have to be defensive. You can say, yeah. And then you can say, And you shouldn't be surprised by that. If if Jesus welcomes sinners, people that don't have it all together yet, like we see in the text, 
then it would stand to reason that the church would be filled with people that don't have it all together, like hypocrites, like people that are kind of fake. Just like a hospital is for really sick people, right? So if you walk into a hospital and you see a bunch of sick people, you don't march into the hospital administrator's office and bang on the door and say, what's the deal with all these sick people here? Can't you hurry up and fix them? Right? That doesn't make any sense. It makes sense that there's sick people at the hospital. In the same way, it should make sense that a Jesus community is filled up with people that haven't arrived yet. And they belong there and they're accepted there. But they have the great physician that's engaging with them in the process of getting better. That's a good hospital. That's also a good church, right? Let's land the plane here. Look at verse 13. So Jesus really cuts to the, cuts to the core here. He really starts speaking the Pharisees' language now. He says, verse 13, go and learn what this means. And now he quotes the Old Testament. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Pharisees, religious elite, they know the Bible. At that time, all they had was the Old Testament. That was all the Bible they had. They know that thing backward and forward. And Jesus is saying, you think you know it backward and forward, but you need to go and do some more learning. He says, I want you to think about the prophet Hosea. And I want you to think about what this means. Why did, why did Hosea say, I desire mercy, not sacrifice? Well, we have to understand these words and what they represent. What's Jesus getting at here? When he uses the word sacrifice, what he's getting at, that's just another like short form for a whole bigger concept. The bigger concept is the Old Testament sacrificial system. Well, what was that? It referred to century after century, God commanded his people in the Old Testament to do these rituals that would ultimately point to Jesus. Okay? So the way it worked was the people would come and they would confess their sins. And God would say, instead of you bearing the wrath that you deserve for your sin, I'm going to provide a substitute that I'm just going to lovingly accept And so there's going to be a sheep, there's going to be a goat, and you're going to kill that, and it's going to be bloody, and it's going to be messy, and that's going to remind you that sin is a big deal. And you're going to look at that animal and go, praise God for his mercy. It should have been me, but God in his mercy has accepted the substitute in my place. And and God commanded them to do this century after century after century. God just graciously accepted the sacrifice in place of the people and their sin. So God commanded them to follow this religious practice and many others like it. And Jesus is just saying, not that I'm, I'm, I'm saying that that was meaningless, like I don't, I don't want those sacrifices. He's not meaning that. He's just saying you've got to understand the mercy behind the sacrifice. You have to understand what, what's implied in the sacrifice. He's saying, Pharisees, you know all these rules to follow, the sacrificial rules and all these other things, 
But the rules don't matter if the heart is wrong. If your heart is wrong, you don't get this sacrifice. You'll screw it all up. See, if you want to follow the rules but you don't care about people, then you don't really get the rules. See, what you have to understand is these laws, the sacrificial system, these commands that I've given you actually show you the mercy of God. And so that has to impact your life. He's saying, Pharisees, I don't see the fact that you get it because you're showing no mercy. You've forgotten that this, this lamb is mercy from God. You don't get it because if you really got that, you would show mercy to these notorious sinners. It's like, guys, you don't get the Bible like you say you do. You've missed it. This whole deal is the mercy of God. The fact that God set up this whole system to save you and not have his wrath just immediately come down on you for your sins over and over and over again and doubting me and, and, I, and I took you through the Red Sea and then you complained. I could have just wiped you out right then, but I didn't. I've provided a way of escape and you failed to see the mercy of God and I know you failed to see it because of how you treat others. The Pharisees wanted to focus on the rules, but because they didn't see the humbling mercy of God standing behind the rules, their heart was not changed. See, the mercy is the first step. Seeing and being changed, being blown away by the mercy of God is the first step. And then after that, when our heart is changed by this love for God that we have, that's when we start following the rules. Then the rules aren't, uh, aren't slavery. The rules are a joy because they come from a loving father who just wants me to know how to live. And then when I fail, I'm free to, 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 to repent and return to him because I know that he's merciful. Like you don't expect someone to clean themselves up and repent of their sexual, physical, financial, legal sins without them first like seeing and being blown away by the mercy of God. Being blown away by John the Baptist when he says, Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. That's mercy. See, if you do it the other way around, this is what's so dangerous. If you do it the other way around, clean yourself up first and then God will love you. You just teach people that you can work your way to God. Then what do you need mercy for? At that point, it just becomes a transactional relationship. I do obedience, and you reward me. Simple, right? So get to work. Do more, try harder. See, Jesus wanted everyone to know that the gospel is not for those who can clean themselves up the best. The gospel is for those who know that all their efforts to clean themselves up are superficial at best. And, they, and, then, and then we simply come to the end of ourselves and we cry out to God, I can't do it. You have to mercifully do it for me or I will be lost forever. And Jesus wanted the, the Pharisees here in this text to get that because they were missing it. They were just all about rules and they didn't get the mercy of God behind the rules, and so their heart was not changed. See, when the church gets that, gets that order straight, when you know that you have a scandalous heart, every single one of us, 
and that the mercy of God has come to me and saved me? See, when we collectively get that, then people with obvious notorious sins will come in and feel safe. Because we don't carry ourselves with the weight of condemnation. We don't fudge on the truth, but we don't carry ourselves with just a condemning, look your nose down on someone kind of attitude. That there will be a collective, non-condemning humility that pervades everything we do as a church. And the truth that we communicate will be communicated, but just in a package that is humble and gentle and welcoming to all people, no matter what they're dealing with. That's what Jesus wants in his people. That's why he went so hard after the Pharisees. So, in summary, notorious sinner, as we all are, when Jesus calls, you drop everything and you follow him. He's worth it. See the mercy of God. Run towards it with all your might. And then let God's mercy in the cross and the empty tomb be your food day and night. And that will have to affect your relationships with all different kinds of people. Amen? Let's pray. Father, would you help us? We need help, God, with, with the, just the mixture of grace and truth that you embodied so perfectly. Lord, we admit that, that we don't get that perfectly. We don't do that perfectly. Would you help us? Would you help us in, when we talk about people that anger us to remember your mercy, to speak truth, but do it remembering your mercy? So may that affect our tone. May that affect our words. May that affect our relationships, Lord. We desperately need that. Lord, would you help the church lead out in that way? We need, we need your help, God. So. We thank you that we can see your mercy now in the, the bread and the wine that shows us as we taste and see with our physical faculties that you are good and you have been so good to us. And may that impact us today in a very tangible way. In Jesus' name, amen.